Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss the exciting science behind HRV and how you can apply it to your own health and the work that you do. Just a note, this podcast does not replace medical advice, and if you're going to apply this to your own life or others, please consult with a medical provider. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. This is Jeff Summers here with my good friend and business partner, Matt Bennett. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? I uh, just got back from my first in-person training trip in six months. So Six months. Uh, and yeah, a good, I had a great time. Canyon City is yeah, a little mountain town here, and I'm not mid-size, I would say, for mountain towns. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've been down there. This was my fourth trip, so I have some good friends. Uh, uh, you'll appreciate this, Jeff. Talk to two Rotary clubs. Uh, you know, Rotary is kind of like the Lions Club, but you know they're, they're what they call themselves are Rotarians, which I did not know that. Them in my book, a lot cooler because it's kind of Rotarians. <laughs> like I might want to be a Rotarian, like you know. So uh, so yeah, I was on AM yeah. radio and uh, did a training uh, for early childhood uh, educators. So it was a uh, it was a good trip. Uh, we got a little snow, so that. Uh, Put some right. snow on the mountains, uh, but uh, been an second odd, uh, earliest. <laughs> that's right, second earliest snow in Denver history. From yeah, I watched my HRV weirdly with the the pressure change uh, drop. It uh, did, didn't it? I noticed yeah. that a little bit too. That and a, a couple unfortunate <laughs> nights sleep. Home, yeah, but you know. That's the way it works. So, what was it like meeting with people in person during weird, times weird. of COVID? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I've been pretty isolated and uh, just because of, you know, not everybody went in-person training. My, training. my wife and I have been trying to save as much money as we can. So I've had pretty much zero social life uh, unless you invite me to hang out on your porch. Uh, I've been pretty <laughs> isolated. So it was, it was really uh, great to see people face-to-face and talk to people and also weird i think as a kind of a, a public health guy i'm always thinking you know is is this safe to do like and and so it was it was kind of weird but they did a good job of social distancing wearing masks and yeah so so i think uh yeah but it was just good to be back on the road and uh, seeing people again so that's it man exactly yeah so we're we're on to episode seven. We've we've yes. talked about about a lot of good things. Uh, got into sort of the tags and how it relates to um, you know individuals, their activities, and and how those impact HRV. And and I think we teased a little bit getting your um, your career expertise in trauma yes. and relating it to HRV and and how HRV can be a tool uh, for trauma informed care. So I think it's probably best to start. Uh, just with a definition of trauma from from your perspective, because there's a lot of folks who know very well because they follow your work. Yeah. There's also hopefully a lot of folks listening to this that that don't, and so yeah. I think it would be good for them to understand when we say trauma, what does that mean? Yeah, so let me give you a few definitions. And whenever I talk about trauma, I just want to warn because statistically, we know the majority of our readers have experienced trauma in their own life. So um, if this hits close to home. Uh, my, my job, I always see it is to keep this upbeat because there's a lot of hope around trauma. Uh, the better we understand it, uh, hopefully it builds uh, reasons why to seek treatment and get help. But I always just like to put out that warning when you talk about trauma. 
you're always talking about the worst things that happen to human beings. So just uh, what we call in the field a trigger warning there for folks before we uh, uh, start this episode. We'll make it as safe as possible for you. So, so Jeff, there's, there's you know, kind of three definitions I want to throw out, and, and I'll kind of relate them to HRV once we get these definitions out there. Um, the first one uh, I like to call episodic trauma or traumatic event, and, and this is something big that happens, and, and I kind of like my informal definition is that if you're an outsider and you witness someone going through this experience, you would say, hey, there's a high likelihood this would be traumatic for this individual. So, you know, this can be something like an automobile accident. Um, I know as we record this, uh, there's fires, there's floods, uh, there's a pandemic going on. So, you know, losing, I, I used to live up in the mountains and I, I know what fire season is like um, up there and being evacuated and, you know, watching some of those, uh, you know, we have a loss of life, but also loss of property and, and all these things uh, going on in, in California, Colorado, and just basically the Western United States. You know, so, so things like that. Also, um, you know, when we think about trauma, especially in childhood, we can talk about, you know, emotional, sexual, physical abuse, neglect. Uh, we also see a lot of things, disruptions to the home, eh? everything from uh, divorce to alcoholism, incarceration, uh, mental illness in, in the home, domestic violence, uh, those sort of things as well. So, so a traumatic event, what it does underneath the skin is it really overwhelms our ability, our nervous system's ability to cope. Um, I always like to say, like, if you can go through a very stressful event and you can get a good night's sleep and maybe go for a run and feel better and you're back to your normal self the next day, that's stress. Uh, trauma really puts us in a fight, flight, freeze, or shutdown mode for a period of time. Now, it doesn't mean this period of time needs to last 20 years. Um, I know a lot of people who've gone through uh, trauma who you know, they, they get support from family, friends, uh, maybe mental health treatment, maybe not. But, you know, they might be down for a week, two weeks, three weeks, but maybe three weeks after whatever happens, they're back to work. They may only be 80%, but they're, they're sort of back in that swing of normal life. And give them a month or two, and they're, they're pretty much kind of back on their feet and, and back to kind of that normal functioning. Um, so, so that's when we look at traumatic event, just overwhelms our ability to take a deep breath, keep ourselves regulated. We go into fight, flight, and freeze. And no matter who you are, there's a level of stress uh, that will put us in, in that, that mode. The second definition I went through is something called chronic trauma. And, and this is something that's less talked about, but so important. Jeff, one of the reasons I, I really got thinking about this is, you know, working in homelessness, uh, you know, you might meet somebody who's been living out on the streets for 15 years and you meet them on a normal Tuesday and you wouldn't look at them and say they're going through a traumatic event right now, right? They, this, is, this is their typical Tuesday, uh, waking up in a shelter, going to the food, uh, uh, you know, food bank, soup kitchen, whatever it is to get food, uh, hanging out in the park, whatever it might be. In many ways, it's their normal, but their normal is under a, a, such a high level of stress that it also really wrecks and changes how our nervous system uh, functions and, and operates as well. So, you know, another thing I, I've worked with a lot of vets over the years, and I've, I've just come to appreciate deployment is, 
you know, you, you imagine, I think Jeff and I, it's probably hard for either you or I to imagine what this would even be like, but imagine being in the back of a armored vehicle rolling through Afghanistan or Iraq um, and not knowing if there's, you know, a roadside bomb or a sniper. And, you know, even if you go through that, that, you know, activity, uh, you know, that mission and nothing happens, boy, you know, if you're worried about your life for two, three hours at a time, and that becomes a daily activity, again, that there may not be like the bomb going off, but we know that also really disrupts how the health of our nervous system um, as well. The other term I want to throw out there is something called complex or compound trauma. And this is really, when we talk about trauma being something people struggle with for years, for the most part, this is what we're talking about. And this is sort of a combination of traumas um, where, you know, you might be in that deployment and there, there may be, again, every day is highly stressful, maybe a level of stress you and I have hardly ever felt in our lives. But then something traumatic does happen. Maybe one of their uh, uh, friends get, gets seriously hurt and injured. Um, uh, something big happens, a bomb does go off, those, those sort of things. So a lot of times when we see people struggling, uh, when I worked with kids from dangerous neighborhoods, you know, they, they had that danger was always present, but then one of their friends got shot. So they had these chronic traumas with these episodic or traumatic events mixed in. And so the research on trauma has really shown how uh, kids are especially vulnerable because their nervous systems are rapidly developing. It's amazing when you look at the statistics about how many neurons they're creating or losing and how those neurons connect. They're just so vulnerable and their nervous system can structure very quickly around trauma. And so a lot of kids that I worked with in child welfare, juvenile justice, all of them really came out of this compound complex trauma. And pretty much every, well, everybody that I've run into, statistically, there might be the exception in the rule, I just haven't found them. You know, everybody I've talked to that has spent time in a homeless shelter or our prison systems, um, substance abuse addiction also has come um, from a history of trauma as well. Again, there, there's exceptions to the rule, but uh, they never made my caseload, so to speak. So again, whether it's a, an event that overwhelms us and puts us in survival mode, or it's that constant stress that kind of always keeps us in fight, flight, or freeze, uh, trauma overwhelms our ability to cope and stay healthy over time. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and so that's a lot, right? And <laughs> so using the word, um, you know, stress in that uh, yeah. definitions of the, the various types of trauma people are exposed to. And so that, that's sort of the natural um, entry point into where HRV fits in and, and how it can help, um, you know, treat, identify, you know, all in past episodes. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it's, it, it's good to sort of relate the two together, you know? A absolutely. And so let me uh, come up here with uh, a, a couple different definitions. Um, so, so first, again, heart rate variability, if you've listened to the episodes, lean up to this. If not, it probably would be good because I don't want to go back and explain everything. But really what we're measuring, again, is your body's ability to handle or recover from stress. Now, trauma, if you just want a, a real simple definition, is a, an overwhelmingly intense amount of stress. 
So, so we can look at this in, in a few different ways. One is what does trauma do to HRV? It crashes it, right? So most of the time, we sort of have this leveled response we've also talked about is when we feel safe, uh, we've, we're in our, the ventral vagal part of our autonomic nervous system. So it, it's highly connected to our face or in our heart. So what happens when we're in a healthy state is we have this thing called the ventral vagal break. So every time we inhale, we activate kind of the, the sympathetic, which I'll talk about here in a second, which raises our heart rate. The exhale, that ventral break calms and calms it down, which is where we get that variability with heart rate. When we enter trauma, when we experience trauma, we drop out of there to usually for most people, we'll go first into the flight response. So we'll try to escape the trauma. This is why another reason why childhood trauma is so devastating, because a lot of times, especially in abusive homes, um, the kids just can't escape. And so we'll try to run away, but if we can't run and run away, we'll try to fight back. So we'll usually go flight first, then fight. And if neither of those gets the, the stress out of our, our life or our situation, we'll drop into our dorsal vagal, which is in our gut area, and that will sh do the shutdown or freeze response. So then we become comatose. We can even, in the extremes, detach from re reality. We call this disassociation in psychology it's a coping skill i had a neurobiologist tell me uh, i was asking him about this after going to a training he's like just imagine if you're a early human being a saber-toothed tiger is going to eat you jeff it is really good to be disconnected from reality so one right. it's a really good survival technique because if the tiger thinks you're dead it might not eat you if the tiger is going to eat you it's kind of nice not to experience every bit of that uh that horrific uh into your life so 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 our body is so well equipped uh to deal with this but so when we go into trauma again usually that sympathetic reaction we will see a great increase in heart rate uh once we go in the sympathetic system that vagal break will pull off so we'll just see this escalation in heart rate and, and limitation in uh, variability. When we go into the freeze response, something interesting happens is we will, our heart rate will drop. We, we almost enter this comatose-like state, but the variability is not high either. So it's a very kind of steady, even though it's a much slower uh, heart rate and heart rate variability. So it's a little bit more rare, but we do see that at times as well. So again, trauma happens under intense stress. We, we see that our body's not able to handle or recover. Again, our, our working definition of HRV. So we see uh, a really significant drops. Now, if you're looking at HRV and how, how do you know if somebody's experiencing trauma or not, you know, because there's a lot of things and you and I having taken readings for uh, uh, quite a while now can do this is, you know, if you looked at one of my readings, um, you might say, ooh, this guy's in trouble. You know, he's usually around, you know, in the high 40s, he's a 15 today. Doesn't mean I'm going through a traumatic experience. Now, if you see me 15, 10, eight, 11, right? So if I'm having those readings for multiple days, something different's going on. My, my nervous system may have lost its ability to recover. So usually what we see with trauma is it's a drop for several days, maybe several weeks, um, potentially if somebody, and again, if you think about that complex or compound trauma and that constant pressure on folks, 
um, you know, we can see that people coming into services with a history of trauma, their heart rate variability oftentimes, most often, is going to be well below uh, the population uh, norms for their age and gender. So, so this yeah. is what we expect. We're doing some work with some homeless providers, uh, looking at that data, collecting it. But what we see is, you know, uh, really low, especially compared to those population norms as well. So really trauma is going to, in the short term, do big drops. Now, if we go, don't get treatment and support, the thing that's risky about trauma is it can stay low. So we see kids that experience trauma um, really throughout childhood. If they don't get the help they need, then their nervous system start to uh, develop around that stress and trauma. So those kids that I worked with growing up in uh, neighborhoods with gang violence, that was their life from the day they were born to when they got arrested and came into my program. Their nervous, their HRV very low because that fight response, always being on the edge of the fight or flight, was how they survived their walk to school, how they survived walking. And a lot of my kids then joined gangs. And, you know, if, if there's a drive-by shooting, you don't want to stand there and cognitively think about your best response. You want to run like, you know what? So, you know, what we see again with histories of trauma, we see, we see people with that, that low HRV coming into services as well. Also, some we've talked about that show, you throw substances on top of that, it can even lower it further. So a lot of folks with, not everybody, but a lot of folks with substance abuse uh, struggles, um, we know that trauma is also a part of, of their life history as well. We know that anywhere from five, 10, I mean, I've seen huge numbers where, uh, you know, trauma puts you at greater risk for, for addiction um, as well. Yeah, that's powerful stuff, man. So, you know, you talked about how obviously, you know, and just sort of thinking about some of the therapists and clinicians that might be listening. Yeah. Um, you know, you talk about how a lot of the folks that they're going to be working with are just sort of innately due to the experiences that they've been through going to have a lower than average HRV coming in. So, yeah, how do you use it as a tool to help and, and provide better care and, and sort of monitor the activities and the interventions that you're applying in the day-to-day the -day treatment to know that things are working? That's a great question. So there's this, why I love talking about this is not because I love talking about trauma. That would be, that would say something pretty disturbing about me. Uh, why I love talking about this is the concept of post-traumatic growth. Um, so trauma heals in, in, a, in a different way than, than other kind of injuries to our biology. Uh, if you break your arm and you get treatment and your arm goes back to where it was before the injury, you're probably really happy with your care, right? You're, you're probably gonna write your doctor a thank you note, uh, give them a high rating on your patient satisfaction score and go on with your life because you're back to where you started. The great thing about trauma is we don't usually go back to a previous state, so to speak. Um, if we get uh, the ability to heal from trauma, and for those that might not be as familiar with the trauma literature, there's amazing best practices out there now. Psychology is in this golden age of, uh, we've got a lot of great ways to help people heal from trauma. So if I get the help that I need, the support I need, the love I need, the treatment I need, what we see is when trauma heals, part of that healing process, not only are we resetting the nervous system, 
um, we're gaining wisdom and strength from that recovery process. As a survivor of childhood trauma myself, I can say with all my, my being is I never want to go back and experience anything like that ever again. However, I'm stronger today because I was able to overcome that experience. Um, you know, I have a resiliency that I don't know I'd, if I'd have that if I hadn't gone through uh, that hard part. In other words, life threw that at me. Life can throw a pandemic at me, right? It might knock me on my butt a few days a week, but hey, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to fight. Uh, so, so we get this strength, wisdom from, from that experience, confidence, self-efficacy uh, from that experience. Now, from the HRV perspective, what I got really excited about and, and why I wanted to bring this uh, to, to the nonprofit world as well as others is, you know, as we talk about people come in with a lower than average HRV score. Uh, so body is probably for a lot of folks that they're in the complex compound trauma for a substantial period of time, really having trouble uh, handling adjusting distress. Uh, maybe never really having that recovery, uh, continuing to feel the psychological pain, suffering of the event, even if maybe the physical wounds have healed, the, the psychological ones um, as, as mirrored by our nervous systems are still there. So I, what I did and, and why, you know, titled the book, Using Biometrics to Improve Outcomes in Trauma-Informed Organizations, is really looking at okay, we know folks are gonna come in under their population norms. There might be exceptions to the rule. That's one thing I'm interested in when our data set gets big enough to, to say, hey, is that assumption uh, right? Because you know it's, it should be because of the studies we've seen, but I, I'm excited to get enough information to share that with folks. Um, but what we really wanna do, no matter where somebody comes in, because we've talked about the genetic factors that can play into this, the, the goal of services is helping people improve their HRV scores over time. So if your intervention is working, if your program is working, if your psychotropic medications are working, what you should see is that the nervous system starts to heal. Um, and, and you can, you know, you, you can label, I think we're okay to label that resiliency. You're building resiliency. You're building uh, uh, strength. Uh, you're, what you're doing from a nerdy perspective is that vagal break is gaining strength. So now we see, that's why we see, granted, sympathetic inhale, heart rate speeds up, but I'm building that emotionally regulated vagal break to bring it down. Now, when we start to do that, some pretty cool things happen. We know the ventral vagal is really in, empowering for our social interactions. Uh, we talked about so much of our communication happens with the area, this is great at a time of a pandemic because I can just say that's covered by the mask, right? So the ventral vagal is really connected all throughout here because that's how we express ourselves and our, our emotions uh, to other people. Um, we see also a connection the prefrontal cortex, which we know that thinking part of our brain, the part of the brain responsible for emotional regulation, as we go through a post-traumatic growth, trauma will actually uh, especially the complex compound trauma in childhood, we can actually measure through functional MRIs that the, the prefrontal cortex getting smaller. So, you know, as heart rate variability starts to improve, you know, we also see with functional MRIs that prefrontal cortex is more active, so it lights up more, but also gaining strength and size. Also calming down the amygdala, which is physically larger in people with untreated trauma, as we do practice things like mindfulness, as we gather people around us who love us and help us co-regulate, 
um, we see the amygdala can uh, go back and shrink in size um, as well. So, so we start to see that, that HRV also shows larger changes in our neurobiology that are impacted by trauma too. Now, if you want to bring a functional MRI into your programs, uh, we're, uh, you better write a grant. Uh, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, text to do it, uh, uh, PhDs to interpret, uh, whereas why I just couldn't let HRV go and uh, why we took this journey is, you know, for less than a dollar a day, you can track an individual's HRV score. So, so, you know, this is the exciting thing. And I, I think I could make an argument. I'm not, I don't think it's probably worth making, but I, I would, I'd make the argument because the changes are so microscopic on the functional MRIs, the heart rate variability is actually the best way uh, to track post-traumatic growth. And again, uh, the cost is a lot more doable. <laughs> and if you've ever been in a functional MRI, you need a room, you, you just yeah. need a whole lot of things. So uh, I always wanted as a therapist, I, I felt like I was treating organs that I never got to see. And HRV really, it's like for me, like when a doctor looks at your broken leg, they get an x-ray. Now I get the health of your nervous system and when I do interventions, I can track whether it's having a positive or negative fat effect on the health of uh, the nervous system, which obviously the brain sits on top of that sucker. So gives us yep. great insight to what's going on underneath the skin. Nope. No, it's, uh, that's great feedback. And, you know, when you, I think this topic is, is, is pretty focused on, on folks within sort of the, the helping world, um, you know, therapists, nurses, doctors, clinicians, you know, all of those kind of counselors, all those kind of folks, you know, but for our, our, the other folks that are listening, I mean, I still think this is very valuable information, yeah. you know, and especially as you're working with your employees, yourself, your family, whatever, and, and you, you, you can be surprised by a lower than average population score. You might look at yeah. somebody and say, wow, they look super fit. They seem to eat well you know, why in the world would they be so much lower than the population average? And, and, you know, these are good ways to explain what would look like an anomaly um, that, that might not otherwise be obvious to folks. Yep, absolutely. And having employee assistance programs available, you know, those sort right. of things can be really supportive. We, we don't need, don't, don't think of mental health uh, trauma treatment as kind of the Woody Allen uh, psychoanalysis where you need 40, 50, 60 years and you're still pretty screwed up. You know, six, 10, 12 sessions, depending on what the trauma is, uh, can be enough. Also, just a note out there, you know, if, if you've experienced trauma, getting, you know, we, we've got, there's an eye movement therapist, EMBR is what kind of the initials it goes by now, and other ones that, hey, we can, before that really trauma sinks in to your nervous system, we can kind of get that out. And even if it's been sunken for a while, it might take a little longer but we've got some great interventions now um, where you don't even have to tell your therapist about your trauma. You, you're you're going to think about it and they're going to create a safe place for it to get out of your nervous system. I mean, it's really uh, therapy psychology, is, as I like to say, it's gotten really cool in the latest years. When I was trained, it was really boring. It was just two people sitting across talking with each other. Now, now we're activating different sides of the brain through tapping, eye movement, sounds. Um, you know, we're really integrating science into this. And I'm excited that we can add uh, HRV to that, uh, that scientific movement uh, where we're, we're kind of 
taken a big step from being an art of therapy, which there will always be some art to it, to more of a scientific right. approach where we, we can get you in and out. Jeff, the other thing I just want to mention about work environments as well, because I know that enterprise solution is a big part of what we do too, is, you, you know, I think a lot of times, uh, and I've been guilty of this, if something happens at work, it's not traumatic. It's part of your job. But, you know, I've talked to so many people, uh, I saw a statistic that I use in my leadership trainings. One fourth of us have been bullied at work, you know, and I've having... I don't, I haven't gone through this, but I've seen coworkers bullied at work. It's traumatic. Um, I did go through an organization who went through uh, layoffs and I was one of the people was, laid off. I was going to say, I mean, times right now with COVID, there are a lot of folks out unexpectedly yeah. looking for jobs and the family to support. That's traumatic. Absolutely. And so, you know, a lot of times I think we like, oh, trauma can't happen at work. You know, maybe somebody walks in with a gun or something that obvious. Yeah. But layoffs, uh, be, being fired, uh, being bullied. Um, I've seen people, and there, when I got laid off, I worked for a horrible organization, so I was kind of beat up already and then got laid off. I had post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, I had to really learn about trauma before I understood it, and I don't think I was ready to admit I was traumatized because I didn't want to give like my employer that kind of power over me, but I just went through hell, and as somebody who cares about being a great employee and the work that I do, it was a personal hit. That was one of the more difficult things I've ever been through in my life. Um, and so, you know, I think sometimes we, we just assume that trauma happens outside the work environment, but you know, even the people, if an organization goes through layoffs and they, they're, they weren't laid off, they're survivor guilt and there's a whole lot of other things um, as well. So, so this can help measure that if you're, if you're in an organization, what about the staff that are left over um, if you do have to lay people out, how are your staff coping with uh, COVID or other disruptive um, events? And will everything rise to the level of trauma? No. Will everybody laid off experiences of trauma? No. But this can really help support uh, organizational wellness against uh, the, you know, these really hard times that, that we're going through right now. And I think you know, that, that this can hopefully be a huge tool where there's a, there's an, a really immediate return on investment of seeing increases in productivity, decreases in turnover and, and other things as well. Yep. No, I'm glad you brought that up, you know, because, you know, when you and I talk about this sort of offline conversation often steers away from that, but it's very yeah. true. You know, I mean, you think about harassment takes place in the in work. I mean, there's all Absolutely. kinds of things that can be traumatic that, um, you know, people need to know about and they need yep. to understand and they need to have the tools to address. And, and this is just another one of those tools. Absolutely. And you just think about our, our healthcare essential workers right now. I mean, you, oh, you start to versus... talk about chronic trauma. Sure. I mean, they're going to work, they're working their shift, they're working double shifts. They're, you know, I'm, I'm like exposed to everything. Yeah. And I'm like telling the clinics, it's like, you need to triage paid time off right now. Like you, mm -hmm. you, I, I, however you can do it, because these folks are, are one, they're putting like, you know, and, and you know, as, as a husband of an educator with the school that's opening, they're, they're trying to do it safely, but there's just an inherent risk uh, to, to going back. And, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I'm worried about my, my wife is incredibly healthy, but I'm worried, right? I, I don't, you know, I'm worried about her kids and, and all that as, as well. And so, 
you know, there is this, uh, you know, under this, and I'm just afraid with our healthcare workers, our essential workers who have been warriors throughout this thing, this can manifest as a chronic trauma and really destroy people's short-term and long-term health because one of the things intense stress does that we've talked about a lot really inhibits uh, immune system functioning. So if you don't handle stress well, now right. you're not only is your nervous system body struggling with stress, now you're also more susceptible to getting COVID or the flu or the flu and COVID and God mm -hmm. knows what these winter months in uh, our hemisphere are going to bring. So, I mean, this is real. I, I mean, this is real. And uh, just maybe a kind of a final note, if I can, to, to wrap up is, you know, the other thing I think interesting with the connection between trauma and HRV is we see, as we've talked about, that HRV predicts nine out of 10 of the leading causes of death in the United States. Uh, we know trauma um, also is a big, not only do we see the mental health issues, but we also are now seeing much higher rates of cancer, diabetes, uh, heart disease, lung disease, um, liver disease, you know, some of that can be contributed to drug use, but not all of it. Because when we're under that intense stress, again, our nervous system is struggling to function, you know, and if you're living under that for decades, as, as many people do, um, we know it can take 20 years off your life. Um, so, you know, this is why treatment is uh, so key, because we can cure it. Um, there's a lot, a lot of hope out there. I, I challenge people. It's like, give me a situation where I would say this person, we should just give up on them because you can't do it. Because I, you know, I've seen people living out on the streets with severe addictions for 20, 30 years, change their life. And, and now they're working in homeless services, providing services to others who are in that dark spot. So, you know, I, I've, I've had that lived experience of knowing people that uh, have, have had these journeys. So, you know, there's so much risk if we don't get that treatment, which is one of the reasons a lot of us are out there really trying to get the stigma of mental health um, out of our society. Because, you know, if you think you're weak or whatever it is, uh, nah, you know, if you're sick, you will go to a doctor, right? And okay. usually we're not responsible. Very few people, you'd have to really challenge me to find out a situation that somebody wanted to experience trauma, that somebody deserved trauma. Don't think it exists. No. So something happened to you, you might have got a virus, you might have experienced abuse, neglect, hurt, harm, and accident. Get the help you need, right? So, so that nervous system operates functionally so you can thrive and enjoy life as much as possible. Well, that's right. And as you said, I mean, a, a really high percentage of people have been through this stuff. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's the majority, not the minority. So there shouldn't be any sort of stigma around it at all. Right. There's, there's not. And the younger generation is going to kick our butt if we don't get to it. I mean, uh, we're, we're, <laughs> That's good. we're seeing it in Denver, Jeff, like our, our Denver public school students are standing up and, you know, saying, no, we, we need more mental health therapy. That, that's what we need. Do you want to know what we need? Are you going to ask us? We need more mental health there. One counselor per 500 kids, not enough. And, no. you know, so, so the, the youth are saying, we need more of this. So, so maybe old folks like me, we, we've done some of our work. Uh, so so I, I, I'm not giving up on us yet. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, this, this younger generation seems to get it in a way. But, you know, again, no matter how old you are, don't stigmatize that. Go, go in. Right. If, you, if your first therapist you don't connect with, that's okay. 
right? You didn't usually marry the person you dated for the first time. So, so if, if you don't feel okay with that person, go, you might have to check out two or three, but again, that little investment in yourself can pay off um, in a much longer, happier, healthier life. Yep. Excellent. A lot of good info. Definitely a heavy topic, but one that is very important to talk about. And then I know a lot of the folks that are following your work, I think are really going to be interested in, in the correlation between HRV and, and trauma. So thank you for that. Um, the, and for the folks who maybe are listening for the first time, as Matt mentioned, uh, his new book, Heart Rate Variability, Using Biometrics to Improve Outcomes in Trauma-Informed Organizations is available for free on our website at uh, optimalhrv.com. Folks interested in learning more about what we do for your organizations, um, feel free to reach out via the, the website as well. We'd love to help you understand what we're doing with other people to provide better care and, and better services to you know, their clients and employees and, and everybody else. So what are we going to talk about next week, Matt? What's, uh, what's on the agenda? What are we talking about? Wow, Jeff, ask me I these put you, I put you, I put you on the spot, the man. I'm going to give you an answer though. Um, we are going to look at HRV integration. So we're going to talk about this from a couple of different perspectives of, you know, how would you integrate this into your organization? Um, you know, I, I think going from that perspective, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on if you are in the helping healing professions, how you might do this with clients. But I, I do want to, I want to focus for our general audience on, okay, you, 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 we've, we've had, I think this is episode seven, we've had seven to, to create this baseline. Now let's talk about what this might look like in a practical way. So uh, how do we take these little monitors we have all over our house and uh, use them to measure the health and well-being of either those we're serving or our own uh, uh, staff and organization? Excellent. Looking forward to it. Well, thanks again, Matt. Always a lot of fun. All right. Love it, Jeff. All right. Have a great weekend. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate uh, you, you coming along on the journey with us. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you're interested in more information about HRV, please visit us at OptimalHRV.com. Also, if you visit OptimalHRV.com, you'll be able to sign up for our email list and download our free ebook, Healing with HRV. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next episode.